following aviation podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast by thepilotreport.com about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 17, the U.S. Sport Aviation Expo. Women fly it forward. Flying for fun or flying for hire, our picks of the week, and more coming up now on this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now, here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, and Len Costa. Welcome, everyone, to the Stuck Mike Avcast episode number 17. I'm Len Costa, joined today with Carl Valeri, Rick Felty, and Victoria Nouveau. Welcome, everybody. How are you? Doing great. great. Glad to be here, hey, as then. usual. Sorry, I stepped on somebody there. I think it was our, our quiet Victoria. Are you there? Yo! Yo! There oh. she is. Now she's shouting. Okay, Wonderful. knock back across the room. <laughs> Very nice. That's good. Let's do the pre-flight. Excellent. Uh, well, we got a um, sort of a little change up in the show today, uh, change up in the format. Um, we're going to be spending probably a lengthy discussion on uh, flying professionally versus recreationally. But before we do get started, we have two announcements. Uh, Carl is going to be in Sebring, Florida at the U.S. Sport Aviation Expo on uh, January 19th through January uh, 20th. The event runs through the 22nd. He'll be there for two days. Um, Carl, tell us real quick, what is the uh, what is this expo about? Uh, yeah, this is actually the uh, U.S. Sport Aviation Association. This is the uh, uh, expo they have every year to show off the different light sport aircraft. And uh, if you want to talk about your aircraft or one of your products, I'll be running around in the Stuck Mike uh, Avcast T-shirt. And it's going to be uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. You're going to see some really neat new designs like Cub Crafters and uh, the C Max uh, new amphibious aircraft. So it's going to be fun, and you'll learn a lot through all the different uh, seminars that they're going to have. Cool. Is Len, is Lens plane going to be there? The is Ion Lens plane, the one. Oh, the um, is the Ion? Uh, isn't it Ion? Mm, Whatever that's no, called. I no, don't. I forgot the name already. The Icon. 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 icon, 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 icon. icon. Yeah. 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 Sorry. I dropped a letter. Close, very close. I'm up. looking for that on the list. I I, Ion would it. work. They should change the name. Anyway, <laughs> I think that's a car. Yeah, that's the true. Ion. No, it may not be, but I think that's. I think it classifies as that. I would think, mm. but maybe not. Last year at this event, I think this is what I remember. This is where Piper backed away from the, the Piper Sport. Right. I think that's just right. before it, and it was big news. That's right. Um, and I wonder. It'll be interesting to see where the state of the, of this world is a year later. You know. Because that was uh, that felt weird and unfortunate because it really is a cool little plane and well they're and it's, it's, still it's still being still made I know it's just yeah. not uh, mm -hmm. not under their you know well they've been in all kinds of turmoil lately that's true Piper with well, a lot of changes going on with that company so, so. We'll, it, we'll be interested to hear the report from down there yeah. cool wonderful and uh, the second item on the agenda is a um, is an event that Victoria has put together and I believe this is the second year she's doing it correct Victoria. Yes, sir. All right. It's the Fly It Forward Women's Aviation event on May 10th up at the Frederick, Maryland Airport. Tell us a little bit about what exactly is, uh, what is this day about? It's on March 10th, just to correct you. Did I but, say uh, May? 
Yeah, you said May. See, I even wrote it on a piece of paper I'm looking at. That just tells me. right. My birthday's in May. You can remember that. Well, happy birthday. For, I'll remember, yeah. Yeah, happy All birthday. Right. Anyway, <laughs> um, the event's called Women Fly It Forward, and it's brought to you by an organization called uh, Women of Aviation Week Worldwide. And it's actually um, Women of Aviation Week is March 5th through 10th, or sorry, March 5th through 11th, 2012. And um, its aim is to introduce as many women to aviation as possible during the week that the first female pilot got her certificate. Um Last year, uh, the event I did at Frederick Municipal Airport won the honor of being the most female pilot-friendly airport in the world. Um, this is after we provided free rides for over 185 women who have never been in small GA aircraft before. Um, women came all over from the D.C. metro area for the day at the airport. Um, we're doing it again in 2012. Um, there's events all over the country, but I'm here to promote mine. Um, we're inviting women and girls of all ages who have never been in small aircraft before to come for a free flight. Uh, commercial airline flights do not count. Um, but even if they don't qualify for a free flight during Fly It Forward, uh, there's activities for everyone. That means the men, too. Um, there'll be static aircraft displays, special guests, free snacks, and uh, tethered hot air balloon rides. Cool. And then uh, another special thing this year is we're doing a flight award essay contest. So one lucky girl who attended last year's event or this year's event at Frederick will win a monetary award to use towards additional flight lessons at Frederick Airport. So uh, in order to make this all possible, we need volunteer pilots and most of all sponsors. So you sponsors. know how to contact me and mm -hmm. uh, we're looking for all the help we can get. It's really a worthwhile and fun event. I haven't seen so many smiles at the airport before. It was amazing. March 10th, not May 10th. March, March 10th. 10th. KFDK. <laughs> Wonderful. I should be there, hopefully. Yeah. Um, you're going to be a pilot, right? Well, I'm always a pilot, but I may dress up as one, too. All right. All right. <laughs> Girls like uniforms. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> now entering cruise flight. All right. Well, uh, moving into the, uh, the discussion today, we received an email from uh, one of our, our listeners uh, named William, who was wondering the pros and cons of flying professionally versus the pros and cons of flying for recreation. Um, ba basically, you know, we've got about half and half here on the podcast, two professional pilots, two um, hobby pilots, uh, recreational pilots. And um, this gentleman, William, was curious, you know, what the difference were, the, the pros and cons between it. He's been reading a lot of different um, different items online and forums about industry uh, and industry news and listening and, and observing what pilots are saying about their careers. And, uh, you know, there's a there's a lot of misinformation out there. And, you know, we while this podcast is geared a lot towards uh, general aviation matters, you know, from time to time, we do share some of the professional flying aspects of it from uh, from uh, Carl and my myself's uh, perspective. And so today we're going to uh, sort of just have an, um, uh, the bulk of the discussion is going to be on on this topic. So go ahead and um, start with uh, Rick. Tell us, you know, real briefly why you decided to get, uh, you know, remind the listeners why you decided to get into flying in the first place. Well, there's a whole lot of probably history from uh, that my dad had wanted to do it. Um, he had been in the Air Force, but not as a pilot and then wanted to be a GA pilot and then couldn't for some health reasons. And so... And we, you know, we did a bunch of things where we would go, you know, he took me 
to to ride with glider pilot friends of his and we did a bunch of hot air balloon rides and there was something always there and then i you know you get busy with your life and then eventually i had a room and um it just it, it, it was available and there was time and i had you know i, I thought well let's just go do this and see how it, how it goes i'm very much um into the visuals of it i mean i know that i need to do the instrument because i know i'll be a better pilot but i really like going up on those uh, Kavu days or whatever, however you pronounce it, um, where you can just see things. Because I love, you know, the visuals. And I loved, um, you know, early on, early flight simulators, even for that, even before flying, I loved the perspective being up there gives you um, as uh, kind of an escape or whatever. But I, I really love the visuals. So, um, and it wasn't because I had to go anywhere or I had a mission or I, you know, needed to to make use of it in any kind of even semi-professional or business way. It was just uh, the hobby, the fun of mastering something as well as once, you know, once you did or while you were doing that, you got this incredible perspective on the world. And um, so that's, that's the short answer for me. Okay. How about uh, you, Victoria? What, what interested you in becoming a pilot initially? I had no choice. <laughs> it's it's kind of in my blood. I grew up going to Oshkosh. My dad was a um, pilot. My grandpa was a pilot. Uh, actually, both of my grandparents were pilots, and then my great uncle was actually a World War II ace. So, I grew up hearing all kinds of stories and um, seeing all these airplanes. And uh, I originally I always wanted to get as many ratings as possible. I didn't really want to do it um, as a career until I had this like big career change, you know, in my studies at college to decide what I really wanted to do, and then I started thinking, all right, I want to fly for a living. And then, as you all know, I am not. So uh, there was mm -hmm. another big change in my decision there as well. But I don't regret it. I've had a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And um, Carl, you had, you know, this was something you actually made a career change into aviation later in life to then go on and become an airline pilot. Tell us briefly uh, your process behind that. Yeah, actually, the the way it started, I was into building model airplanes. And then someone said, hey, you can do this. You can actually fly these. And I went out to the airport and got into an airplane and immediately fell in love with, just like Rick said, the views were incredible. And uh, and really, the, the challenge of being able to become a pilot really intrigued me. And within about a month into it, my instructor was so enthusiastic. He said, you know, you can do this. I get paid to do this. And I was like, wow, that's cool. But I, I actually decided to put it off for about 10 years. And uh, I went into business and uh, did that first and then realized that, uh, you know what, I, I need to need to do this. This is something that I've always, it's on my, basically on my bucket list. And uh, now I surround myself with aviation and took my hobby and turned it into my job. So it really wasn't I had no idea until my senior year in college that I might do this as a career. Didn't think I could because I didn't have perfect eyesight. Mm -hmm. And and it was just, it's been a it's been a great journey. It's had its bumps, but uh, but I've been enjoyed it overall. But uh, it was and that's the short of it. I mean that's uh, you know I wish I could say from the day one I was I was one of those people that wanted to fly, but I just thought it was an impossibility, and I was just glad someone actually introduced me to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I started out. Um, when I was young, we always watched the space shuttle launches. And for as long as I can remember, I wanted to grow up and be an astronaut. And uh, the very first exposure I ever had to aviation and flying was a Young Eagles, um, an EAA Young Eagles Day at the Nashua Boy Airport in Nashua, New Hampshire. And um, 
I got a ride in a gentleman's Lancer 320, which is an experimental home-built retractable gear air, um, airplane. And, and for your first airplane ride, it was probably the most damaging for me because it was, you know, it's high performance. It's very, like I said, it's uh, it's retractable landing gear. It's very um, sleek and sexy. And that thing just hauled some serious butt. And after that, I was determined to spend, you know, the rest of my life aloft. And, uh, you know, I went through and pursued, um, you know, pursued my aviation because, um, because I enjoyed doing it so much. And to be quite frank, I found it sort of simple. Um, you know, there were some challenges, but I felt I, I felt kind of like a natural. So I decided to go um, the college route and pursue, you know, a degree in aviation as well as continuing my flight training. So we'll talk a little bit uh, further on here in the show about some pros and cons about doing, uh, you know, choosing a, an aviation college or choosing a, uh, you know, a different college that's non-aviation related, some of the options there. Um, in fact, we'll go ahead and just jump into that right now. Like I said, I did, did um, Victoria or Carl did, because uh, we know Rick wasn't necessarily interested in being a, a career aviator. Did, did you, Carl or Victoria, go to college for anything aviation related? Um, I did for um, an aviation management degree, but um, not for the flying aspect of it. Actually, mm -hmm. there was nothing near me. And when I did call, because I found one, um, they still had it in the college like listing of classes. Um, it was some like ground school or something like that. And they actually canceled it after 9-11. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that was a bummer. What about you, Carl? Um, actually, I just took a couple courses uh, in graduate courses from Embry-Riddle, and that's about it. That's that's really my extent of it. It, it was more of out of a curiosity mm -hmm. if I wanted to pursue that. But no, otherwise it was just strictly uh, nothing to do with aviation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. I've, I've, I enjoyed it so much at the time. You know, I actually had, uh, I soloed on my 16th birthday, and I got my private certificate on my 17th birthday. So I was right in that phase of looking, you know, my parents were asking me, what are you going to do for school, and when are you going to go, you know, you got to pick a college. And I'm like, okay, fine, fine. <laughs> well, I loved flying, you know, and I, like I said, it was, it was a fun challenge, and I was, I, you know, I felt a natural um, um, taking to it. And so I decided to go to Aviation University. I got a bachelor's degree in aeronautics and a master's degree in uh, aviation management while I pursued my flying. Um, and a few things I've learned actually since then is that if I was, you know, some people ask, uh, uh, ask us, you know, what would you do differently? Or they've asked us for advice, you know, how would you go about doing so? I've had a few people um, from the, through, through my contacts, the listeners here at the Stuck Mike Avcast, in addition to, to followers over at the Pilot Report asking similar questions, you know, what route, what route would you take? I've had one gentleman ask me, he's an aerospace engineer. He's looking to take flying lessons and become a professional aviator. What, you know, should he quit his job and spend 100% of his time on pursuing, uh, you know, his, his flight certificates? Or should he stay working and use that time so he's, you know, still gainfully employed, if you will, so he has the money to continue? And, uh, you know, so I've, we've had a few different, a few different conversations out there. And, if I was to start over, I think probably first and foremost, what I would change is um, I may not go to, I probably wouldn't go to college for an aviation degree. And the reason I say that is because the um, the flying aspect of it, when you get, when you're looking for a job as an airline pilot or, or if, well, even as a, um, a charter pilot, most, most flying jobs, just as anything these days, you know, uh, an employer wants to see that you have a college degree. 
It doesn't have to be in aviation, though. You could go and you can get a degree in, in business management. You can get a degree in under underwater uh, basket weaving if that's your liking. As long as you have a, you know, a degree and the flight uh, credentials and experience to go along with it, then you can, you know, you're in the, um, you know, the hiring pool uh, with the, with, with all the criteria. But one reason, um, you know, I would suggest considering in this aspect for, uh, for college is something else is because Carl and I have a lot of time off. Um, and it, and, and, you know, there's the whole airline is seniority based and you don't, the, the, when you first start out, you have about, you know, 11 or 12 days off throughout the month. And when you think about that, the average person who works nine to five, they have, uh, you know, four weekends, eight days off. So we already have more time off. So when you look at what am I going to do with those days off? Well, if you've got a degree in something else, uh, you can pursue that. It's also something to get uh, something to fall back on. Why would it, why would you want something to fall back on, Carl? Tell, tell the folks why it's important to have a fallback in this business. Oh my gosh, because if you get furloughed, and uh, as a lot of my listeners, the listeners know here that uh, that's I work with furlough pilots and have been doing that for the past ten years. And on a consistent basis, I'm speaking to people that luckily had other had a degree or some other skill that they were able to fall back on and and make a living because this you could lose your job and like me lose it for two and a half years or some of these folks that I talked to over at United and they've been out of work for eight years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's great to have something to fall back on. Very, very important, I think. And for those of you who are not quite familiar with the word furlough, it's just a fancy word for being laid off. Um, and that's exactly what happens. So, you know, like I said, if I was to change things, I would probably get a, you know, get a college degree in something else that it's not necessarily aviation related. That would give me an, a different field to work on. Uh, you know, I'm very interested in technology. I, actually, one of the other, you know, one of the things that was either going to be aviation or technology. I wanted to do, um, you know, computer engineering and that kind of stuff, or aerospace engineering or flying. And you know, I obviously chose flying because it was the most exciting thing. But it gives you options out there, um, especially in an ever changing environment. Now, Carl, tell us. Um, Tell us a little bit more about um, your decision. You you said initially, you know, you you waited ten years to start flying, and then you went ahead and uh, you, you decided to go ahead and take flight lessons and work your way up. How long of a process was that for you from from taking flight lessons to getting your first uh, paid flight job? Well, my in those ten years, and I hope I didn't give the wrong impression. I was actually flying as a hobby. So during those 10 years of working, I was able to work my way through my instrument rating and get my multi-engine private and those type of things. So I was actually flying private aircraft, but I was maybe flying 50 hours a year. That's it. Uh, From the time that I made the decision, um, it was really interesting because uh, it was a friend of mine said, hey, listen, you've always wanted to do this. Go for it now and do it. Uh, they also said, hey, you've always wanted to live in a motorhome, do that too. And that was another, that's a, a whole other story. And I did that for 18 months while I was pursuing my flying career. But that took me from the time I said go. In other words, I said, all right, this is what I'm going to concentrate on full time till the time that I actually finished up all of my ratings uh, from, for instance, from my private and private with instruments, single engine to where I had my CFI took me, it was about uh, five months or so by the time I got it all finished up. And that, it had a lot to do with with having to move at the same time. I probably could have done it in a shorter period of time. There are schools that you can go to that can get you done in like six weeks. 
or less. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can go to those if you have the money. You know, that's the other thing. It, there, there's always a conundrum in, in this industry and everything in life. You know, it's either the time or the money. And, and that's what I did. I said to myself, okay, I'm going to dedicate all of my time to getting my flight instructor certificate. And, and once I did that, my CFII came fairly short order afterwards. I became very busy as a flight instructor. I was instructing in the Tampa Bay area. And boy, I was, I was flying about five to six hours a day. So it was tough to actually study for that double I. So what I had to do, and this is kind of interesting, is that each rating that I, I was pursuing, I took time off to get the ratings. So I had my instructor certificate. I took a, about a week off, finished up my double I, my instrument instructor. Then I took another week off and got my multi-engine commercial and my multi-engine instructor license. So I found that I had to remove myself and, and it, it it relays back to regular work, you know, not just flying. It's good sometimes to get away from your job and just finish it up and go through an accelerated program. Um, accelerated programs are, are both good and bad, and we can discuss that too. But, but yeah, it didn't. It doesn't take long to get through this as long as you have a good experience and you're flying well, mm-hmm. et cetera, mm-hmm. and you're flying on a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll hop over to Rick for for a few minutes here. Rick, you're in the uh, creative media industry, and um, you know you took up flying as a hobby, as you described earlier, something that um, was, you know, you had an interest for. So you've got your private pilot certificate. Uh, let's start out first with, tell us a little bit about what, um, you know, what are your future plans with this private pilot certificate in the way of um, instrument or commercial or anything? Uh, you know, what do you, what do you intend to do here? Yeah. I mean, I think instrument is, um, is, is, you know, if not essential, close to it in terms of becoming better and having another challenge. I mean, I remember finishing up and shortly thereafter with the, with the private pilot, I thought, wow, I, I kind of miss the intensity of that learning process because, um, and that's really one of the challenges when you're just a recreational pilot is how do you stay sharp? How do you, you know, how do you push the edges and how do you, how do you remain, you know, excited about it and all that? So I figure um, instrument will be that. I don't necessarily um, think that commercial is anything that I'll that I'll want to pursue just because I don't really think I have an application for it or a real desire. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think it'll be um, I think instrument, and I think figuring out how to more efficiently, you know, deal with the the whole rental ownership mm-hmm. uh, thing. Figure out the hours. You know, how, how do I how do I put enough time in to stay sharp and to to have the uh, you know, shared ownership of something be valuable um, and make it worth doing? Because I I actually think i it would be i would enjoy it more to not be renting because there's a quality to i'm just sort of someone who is sensitive to the fact that it's a shared experience for a lot of people and Mm -hmm. if i if i tie up a plane if i book it um and then i have to cancel or i don't feel like things are right for me there's sort of a sense i have that i've wasted someone else's time as well Mm -hmm. and so you know i kind of have the sense that if i could figure out the equation for ownership i'd probably uh go there and i would fly more is what Mm -hmm. i think um so we'll see you know but i um, yeah, I definitely don't necessarily, I'll, I will say, you know, I did a lot of traveling for work, uh, just as a business person, uh, for a bunch of years and, uh, try, you know, getting around and seeing places is all, is actually very cool. And I could see why there is a real allure to doing what you guys do on one hand, because of that, you get to be, you know, all over the world in many cases, or easily all over the world, or certainly domestically all over the country. And, um, as a part of your job. Now, you know, there's, there's good and bad to that. And, and you guys can touch on that probably, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, I could see why that at, at a certain time in my life would have been, um, 
you know, an important or fun, you know, a great thing to do. Now that's less of a priority for me. So I don't, um, you know, necessarily see any reason that I would do that. Um, at some point I want to ask a question of you guys, which we don't have to do that now, but cause we're, we're kind of talking either or, or what if you did this? What if you did that? And I wonder, cause I think you guys are actually examples of people who do manage to do both. Um, professionally and then in your spare time you still have fun flying mm -hmm. and that's not always the norm from what i can tell you know there's people who don't uh do the recreational stuff for various right. reasons which i think right. is fascinating yeah we'll talk i think we'll touch about that yeah. uh touch on that here in just a few minutes but i was curious um i mean would you even possibly be interested in working your way to a cfi to just a flight instruct for pleasure purposes to well, pass on your passion and knowledge that's whether cool. it's with friends or family or you know just to pass that on yeah i you know that's an interesting thought i think in other areas of my life i've been a pretty good teacher the the thing i think is interesting though in going through it in the training is i i just sort of marveled at what it takes to be that person in the right seat it is a particular especially to be good at it um, there's a bunch of skill sets there in terms of teaching, trust, you know, knowledge about obviously flying, but the, the other stuff, um, the right sense of, you know, is this guy going to round out when I think he's going to round out and my hands are in my lap, but where do they need to be? And you know, you know what I mean? Like I, right. as even as the guy in the left seat thought, wow, he's, he did a great job there letting me do that. Or, wow, I'm glad he jumped in there because that's right when I needed him to. And I was very aware you know, because I, I did this as an older person, not as a kid. So I was sort of maybe more self-aware of the process, watching it all, you know, mm -hmm. having, been, having learned various things over the years. You sort of, I become a process observer sort of too. And I was, I was impressed with what it must take to be there in that moment and do a good job letting learning happen, but having it be safe. And um, so I was, I was sort of wondering if I had what it takes to do that. But uh, yeah, it's an interesting thought. I hadn't really, I hadn't necessarily thought about it, but that might not be a bad thing to consider. Mm -hmm. Well, like, you know, it, it's interesting just to add to what you said is, you, you know, if you go to the airports, your local airports, you, you see who are the people that the pilots that get the most respect. It's usually the, the flight instructors because of the fact that the, most people know what they've had to go through to get to that, to that point. And to have a good flight instructor is just priceless. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. There, there was one comment, though, I, I, uh, that you made that was, was interesting, and I just want to get back to that if I could. Sure. You said something about, you know, Len and I flying, and we also get time to fly for fun. And, and I just want people not to have the impression that we don't have fun at work. You right, know, right. We do enjoy our jobs. It's not like, oh, gosh, that's, that's the horrible side, and this is the fun side. And, right, and yeah. there's a lot more freedom in the personal flying. Right. And that's and, what it comes down to. Yeah. And also right. to add... Uh, in your in a consideration that you might have, and also our listeners that might want to consider a commercial license, we're going through this with uh, one of the co-owners in our aircraft. Is that getting your commercial certificate allows you to do certain things that you couldn't do otherwise? For instance, if you want to fly somebody from point A to point B, you couldn't really do that and get paid, right. and and that comes up quite often uh, around the airports. Gosh, I wish I had my my commercial license. Like, well, just go ahead and. And do it. So there's there's some applications to becoming quote unquote a professional pilot, and and I think in my mind, see Rick and Victoria, even though they don't, it's not their profession. I consider them professional pilots, and they right. bring a lot of professionalism to their flying. Mm -hmm. So so you know just to distinguish between those things, sure. I want to make that point. And that's interesting. And I there. totally I totally get your point about about fun. And and that yeah, that was not quite how I meant it. Um, yeah, it's like me when I I, I 
produce videos for work, but I have fun doing that at work and I have fun doing it on my own with more freedom. You're right. Good, so it's good, very similar. Good analogy. Yeah. 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 It's the free to, and I think that's what I, that's one of the reasons I actually still enjoy doing uh, general aviation flying is because of the freedom. Cause you know, when you're, when you're working as an airline pilot in the case of myself and Carl, you are, you know, you're flying the routes for somebody else there. It's their schedule. It's their destination. It's their passengers. And, you know, it's not your flight plan. It's not your decision to go and get the $100 hamburger today. So there's a different kind of freedom and it's enjoyable. Actually, I'd like to make the point right now, you know, if it wasn't for the airlines in my, my, my job as an airline pilot, I know without beyond a shadow of a doubt that I would never experience probably a good 85 or 90% of the scenarios and situations that I've flown in, whether it's in-flight icing, high winds, turbulence, doing um, instrument approaches down to category two minimums where you're flying the airplane at 100, uh, you know, 140 knots down to 100 feet above the ground and poor visibility. I mean, these are just things you don't do nine out of 10 times in a general aviation airplane. So from that aspect, I can appreciate the, you know, the level of experience and the scenarios that we get to, uh, you know, we get to experience. Carl, I mean, explain to the folks what's, you know, what do you've experienced that's different that you know it was not the same in GA? Oh, gosh. The, big, the biggest thing is that when I look at the sky and I see snowflakes, it's, it, it's just an inconvenience. Uh, but when I'm in my 172 or 182, it's, it's a big deal, you know, and, and I'm like, Oh good. I could get to go up in that. And, uh, and the other cool thing is that I really don't, it, this is, maybe it's the time of year that I'm, I'm experiencing. And that's why I'm talking about it so much is that, you know, when it's the coolest thing to land in a snowstorm <laughs> I mean, you come out of the clouds and it's like the world is just, it's almost like silent and all you can see is those snowflakes coming down all around you and you get on the runway. And, uh, well, one of the things that I really had an experience with a small plane is sliding around on the runway, which, uh, every so often happens in a, in an aircraft that we land in the bad weather. But, you know, there's, there's so many things that I would never have seen. Like always we, someone told me this and I, I think it's true is that we always see the sunshine in a smaller plane, a lot of times we can't get up True. over it, mm -hmm. and and it's it's overcast. But I know that I'm going to see the sun once I get above all those clouds, and and to be able to experience things like, you know, until you actually fly east and keep going east, you go to Boston and then you fly east for an hour, hour and a half, and you're still over land. It's like wow, wow, that that is so strange because we're all taught in these maps or shown maps where you think you go north. And you go out to say Newfoundland, you know, you're you're actually flying east, you know, mm -hmm. and you're zero eight zero heading, and it's like, wow, that's that's pretty cool. And to see two sunrises in one day, I mean, that that's pretty neat too. And and you know, giving the ability to fly, say, a jet, that's that's what's cool. So you get to see those type of things, or mm -hmm. to be in three different countries in one day, and, they, mm -hmm. and you know, you don't. I would never be able to do that in my one eighty two. Right. And that that's pretty cool. Well, actually, I guess I could because I could go to, let's see, the Bahamas and Cuba. But now. Yeah, <laughs> true. But yeah, it's it's just I there are so many neat experiences that that you have that you never would see before, like um, seeing Aurora Borealis from thirty three thousand feet, um, seeing um, uh, what's the the 
term I'm looking for as far as, you know, the static electricity building oh, up. Yeah, on, the, um, uh, oh, yeah, the, oh, now uh, you made me forget. Yeah. St. Elmo's Fire. St. Elmo's Fire, as it as it builds in front of the aircraft and kind That's of works its wild. way towards the cockpit. And, and you see all these streaks of different little... Uh, lightning type strikes all over the the window, and uh, just like that little ball that you see at uh, Spencer's gift that you can touch, and, and it's it's really cool. I mean, it, those those kind of things I don't think I'd ever have experienced before, mm-hmm. and and the places that you get to go, the little islands that you get to see, the um, I and just hopefully I'm not getting too far off topic here is just the fact that you know for the for about three years all I did was stay in resorts down in in Mexico because I was senior enough. We go back to that seniority where. I was in every overnight was 36 hours in a resort in some really cool areas that I never would have been able to see otherwise, you know, with any other kind of type of job mm-hmm. and to be flying through those mountains and, uh, and seeing those, those amazing mountains and also being kind of scared a little bit saying, Oh boy, if I lose an engine, what's next? Mm-hmm. That type of thing. But, yeah. It's uh, fun. It's a real challenge. It's just a, like, you know, there's weather, there's terrain, there's all kinds of different things flying internationally, especially when you go down to Mexico. There's virtually no radar under uh, below 20,000 feet. So you're generally on your own, you know, navigating on an airway, reporting waypoints. And, and, and you know, they're telling you that traffic's 14 nautical miles and so-and-so DME from this VOR. And you're looking going, oh, where am I, you know? Uh, so it's very, you know, the challenges are are large and they're fun. And that's what I love most about the airline flying is that, you know, it's a challenge. I mean, you've got this huge hunk of metal and you're just one person with, you know, all these lives behind you hurtling through the air at 500 miles an hour. And you got to put this thing down. And sometimes, like Carl said, a small runway or a runway that's covered in snow, you know, and your adrenaline's pumping and, you know, you pop out of those clouds and you hit that snowy runway and you're just like, you know, you get on the brakes, you slow down, you pull off. And my my heart is beating out of my chest it's just like wow we did that it was safe we got down we got off the runway and you know it's just uh it's quite exciting now victoria you had mentioned in previous episodes actually when we talked a little bit about you obtaining your commercial um certificate that you were interested in pursuing your flight instructor certificate now um what i mean is that something again you just want to do more as a, a part-time weekend hobby to stay proficient, or would you like to, you know, really? What are your thoughts on pursuing something more in the in the future? Well, originally it was like a step towards a bigger career in flying, and I always thought I would be a good instructor, and I always thought I'd enjoy it. So I still am pursuing that, um, but I have a different mindset on it now. I'm, I love to throw these events, you know, and introduce people to aviation and I figured what better way to introduce them when you can actually sign that logbook when you take them up for a flight. So um, I think it would be a lot better um, for these people I'm introducing to aviation if I actually had that CFI experience to share with them. Mm-hmm. So what are you, what, what, you know, what's your timetable right now for, uh, and I guess I should have asked you as well, Rick, but Victoria, what's your timetable right now for hopefully pursuing that, um, that CFI? Well, um, if things were ideal, I wanted to get it right after completing my commercial since I just had to take all that knowledge and just move it in the right seat. Mm-hmm. But now my timeline is when, uh, ever women of aviation international decides to award me that scholarship I applied for a while back. Okay. Well, <laughs> good luck. We hope yeah, you get that. <laughs> It'll happen eventually. You know, my, my piloting, uh, training has always taken quite a while. Mm-hmm. 
but I always get my way in the end. So. Very good. Uh, you know, Rick, what's your, um, you know, your idea on pursuing that instrument certificate well, or that know, instrument I, rating? Yeah, I thought I would start it right away. Just the same kind of thing. And, um, just timing and, you know, never, I just haven't been able to focus on it. And so, you know, I should try, I should push, you know, to at least minimally get working on it this year and see how fast I can do it. You know, uh, it's almost like if I feel like, it, like I haven't pursued it actively because I don't think I can see the path to getting it done efficiently. You know, I, my private license was very slow because I was working at the time and traveling a lot. And it would have been faster, I think, if I had been able to concentrate. So I know that. But maybe it's better to just try it and move through it, no matter how long it takes, continue mm -hmm. to make progress toward it. So mm -hmm. I should probably take that mindset for me. That would probably get me started and uh, then, you know, see how it goes. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to ask, um, I'm going to ask, a, I don't know if it's a tough question, but I'm going to be the person to ask the question, who here has any regrets about their choices in flying? Well, I would say I would, I would, it's easy to jump on the, I, I wish I'd started earlier because I just, you know, there's a lot of years there that I didn't get to fly and didn't get to do things. I like mm -hmm. the era I learned in because I'm fairly tech savvy and boy, right. things have really come around right at, just as I've been doing it, you know, it's, uh, but, but yeah, I, I would say if I have a regret, it's, um, it's less about whether I chose to go commercial or, or do any of that. It's more, who knows what would have happened if I'd started younger. Mm-hmm. So you, you know, possibly even, yeah, I might. If you had started, you know, it could have been a career, right? A career, yeah, right. it could have been. Because right. I, I, well, I've got a friend um, who is very interesting, um, really smart guy. Went to high school with him. Ended, he ended up at MIT. Um, he, he, he became a pilot. You know, I, I guess in college. And in fact, one of my earliest small plane rides, uh, you know, just after college or in that era was. Um, he, I was out on Cape Cod, living out on Cape Cod, and he was in Boston. He flew down and got me, went to the vineyard, went to Katama, and then went over to Nantucket. And um, uh, he's now, um, I don't know what, he's now flying the, you know, he's a captain flying fairly big, um, whatever the big jets are that they fly, like some of the routes he does are from New York to Moscow. And I've forgotten, I've forgotten what airline he's with. It doesn't really even matter. Mm -hmm. Except he was just a guy who was interested in t science, and he was a very smart guy. And he did it, I think, as a hobby, and it became his life. You know, and I, we didn't stay in touch. And then I got back in touch with him later. And because I was starting to fly and somehow through, you know, social media, I managed to reach him. And, you know, it's an interesting path. He took he took a few steps early and it led him to his life, which mm -hmm. is interesting. Mm -hmm. um, now, I will say, let me, this is a question I want to ask, which I throw out to you guys. But he's the one who sort of raised the issue that I've heard from other people, too, which is when you are a professional, does flying, you know, uh, recreationally, uh, put you at a different kind of risk if you know a certain if something didn't go quite right. And yes, there are people who who don't do it. I think for that reason, especially as the stakes get higher in their mm -hmm. careers. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you guys feel about that, or if you have anything to say about that. <laughs> go ahead, Carl. Uh, I was going to say most definitely yes, and and I um, worked with someone not too long ago who uh, had an issue where. The FAA took away every certificate, and they were allowed to have their private certificate back and work, or excuse me, their student pilot certificate. And this was an airline captain, and they had to work their way back through all of the ratings because of uh, busting in airspace. Uh, so, wow. so flying, per and it's happened. I, I know five people that's happened to, and where you start over. 
For instance, if you fly over the White House, that's, you know, that's just one extreme, or Camp David, or where the president is, and you didn't get any information, you flew right over them, you probably are going to have all your certificates removed, possibly, I should say. And the higher your certificate is, the more you have to lose, especially if you do it as a profession. So here's somebody, there's a few people I know that it was their profession, and they had to start all over again. And I talked to the examiner, and he said, it's amazing. Here's, here's somebody who's got you know 20,000 hours, and he's doing his private pilot certificate. Of course, he was able to work through all of them again, but that's that's what the FAA has done. And they have in in the near or the past, uh, in the past five, ten years, been very tough on people that have the higher ratings, uh, ATP, et cetera, when they do make a mistake and they're going to come after you. So that's that's something you have to keep in mind. You know, you really need to make sure no matter what you're doing, but especially if you have a lot to lose, that you you don't do anything illegal uh, and make sure you, you look at everything and before you go fly because it's very easily, especially now, uh, to bust a temporary flight restriction. Yeah. So, yes, it, 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 you, are, you, you are risking it. As a matter of fact, say you blow a tire and somehow the FAA was there and they investigate it and then realize your aircraft was not airworthy because of something not you overlooked but a mechanic overlooked. They're going to try to come after you because you didn't actually mm -hmm. do your pre-flight planning properly. Wow. And that's been an instance in the past too. Wow. So I, but I don't want to, <laughs> now that I've said that, I really don't want to scare everybody away from it. I, you know, I fly, I do a lot more research before I go flying than say I did when I was a private pilot. Uh, I'd make sure that I'm not going to bust any TFRs and I keep uh, getting updates on those type of things. That's the biggest one right there. And also, I don't fly uh, illegally either. I try as hard as I can to make sure all the everything's been done properly. Mm -hmm. That was actually, I'm glad you made that point, uh, Carl, because that was specifically what I wanted to mention as well. I think as, as a recreational um, aviator and a professional aviator, you have, uh, as Carl said, you have a lot more to lose if you if you have a violation or if something happens and you lose those flight certificates, that has affected your career. And if that career is your primary source of income, now it's affected your your income as well. So I've it's the exact same scenario, Carl. I am more thorough, maybe even more anal. I refuse to fly anything that is not to the letter of the law for those reasons. It just makes you, you know, it makes you consider what is it that I'm doing? You know, is it worth flying this airplane 50 pounds over gross? Well, you know, maybe it'll fly, maybe it won't. But if I have a problem here and the FAA comes and takes a look at it and they find out I did something stupid or negligent, there's a lot of repercussions to that. So I definitely, from that aspect, I feel, it, you know, I agree with you there, Carl. It makes me a safer recreational pilot because I think about things a lot more. Where am I going? What am I doing? What's, you know, What's happening out here? So, um, Carl, did you have any regrets about your flying so far? Getting, you know, going a little bit back to that. Um, I'm I'm a little bit older. Uh, when I got my start, I was a little bit older, and the one regret is that um, maybe I didn't start earlier or discover flying earlier. And I and then when I did discover it, not going full bore because one thing I didn't realize is that uh, there's this thing called seniority at the airlines. And everything is based on when you're hired, your routes you fly, uh, when you can upgrade to captain. Every seniority isn't everything. Days off, vacation, everything, everything. Exactly. It's all 
how many years you've been at that airline. Uh, but with that said, I will say that because I had a career, I was able to save a little bit of money and, and put that away to be able to pay for the flying and, and move over to that career. I don't, I, that's the one, I, I wouldn't, I'd say it was a small regret. I wouldn't say it's a large regret because I was able to enjoy other things in life and I still could go back to what I was doing prior to this. Um, but that is the thing that, that people don't realize is they need to really, uh, get in as soon as they can. And also, um, I guess the other thing that I didn't plan properly was the amount of money I wouldn't make. Uh, when I had, uh, my other career, I made in one year what I made in my first five years mm -hmm. all put together mm -hmm. in the flying career. So I probably should have, that, that was a, a bit of a regret there, but getting started uh, earlier was, was probably the the most important thing to do not but with that said if you're older and you're listening you know you, you can start at any time just realize that there's going to be a cap as to how far right. you can you can go and how many years you can have there right. say for instance at an airline your your top pay is at 20 years and you have only 15 years to till you're age 65 you're never going to get to that top pay mm -hmm. does that make sense yes so that's that's the only only regret there and and uh, other than that no i mean i've had i've had a heck of a ride. I mean, I've really enjoyed it. I mean, there's uh, if I had started earlier, maybe I wouldn't have been furloughed so many times or gone to so many airlines. But then again, I look back and you know I got to fly at all these different airlines um, because you know I got on at nine eleven and and that was an experience in itself. Mm. You know, a very expensive experience because I didn't get paid very much, but it, mm. it was a good experience. And I try to look at the positive side of it also. How about you, Len? Did you did you? Have any regrets? Um, not necessarily per se. Um, the the funny thing, I don't really tell a lot of people of this, but when I got into aviation, I always wanted to fly. It was something I wanted to do. Uh, like I said, I did go to college for it. I have two college degrees that are both aviation related. It was it was fun. I enjoyed it. I found it to be you know a worthwhile challenge, um, but not overly you know I didn't struggle. I guess I wouldn't say it wasn't difficult, but I didn't struggle. Um, but one thing. And I don't, you know, I would think maybe not so much a regret, but, you know, fortunately there's folks like us that can now share this information. When I was going through, I didn't really have a lot of people to say, hey, Len, listen, you know, it's gonna, it, it's a rough start pay-wise, you know, there's, there's certain considerations. You know, when you look at people who are starting now and people who ask me for advice, one, re, you know, one, one of the reasons I say get a college degree in something else uh, outside of aviation is because it can be a second source of income. Why is that second source of income important? Because of exactly what Carl said. You don't, I mean, first year pay at a regional airline was roughly, I think, twenty-two to $25,000 in annual, um, you know, annual income. Well, if you take into account what the average college student comes out of, you know, uh, out of university with as far as debt and loans, then you add, Lord only knows, probably another 70 grand easily for flight training in this day and age. You have so much bloody debt that it's it's overwhelming. And I have a lot of friends who have roughly 100 grand in debt. Um, and they're, you know, they're looking at this going, how am I ever going to pay these loans off in this career? Um, how am I, in, in the long run, how am I going to survive? And so it's an interesting challenge. And I don't really call that a regret. But going back a little bit to earlier what I was saying, um, I don't really tell people a lot, but, you know, flying as an airline pilot was only something I wanted to do um, for, uh, 
for a short while. It was it was my goal. I wanted to you know fly as an airline pilot. I've reached that goal, and now at this point in my life, I'm looking to obtain. Uh, I mean, re, you know, um, excuse me. Look towards my other life goals. You know, I, I'm, I've done it as an airline pilot. Um, you guys will see what we do here at thepilotreport.com and stuck my gavcast. There's a sort of part of my new second, uh, you know, second adventure in life, some some um, dabbling in entrepreneurship. And so I'm not afraid to tell people, you know, there's a lot of things you can do with that time off. So I, I like the job because it gives me the time off to work on things like this that we're doing today, sharing general aviation with you, GA advocacy, working with friends in this business, um, and, and those kinds of experiences. But do I want to be an airline pilot for another 35 years? No, I really don't. Um, you know, for me, the traveling is sometimes cumbersome. The commuting is sometimes cumbersome. Um, the commuting is obviously one thing that as an airline pilot, you can change directly by living closer. Um, but, you know, there's certain things that go into that, that quality of life. Where do you want to live? You know, you have a relationship with somebody, your family is somewhere. So there's different things that go into it. Uh, the flying is always fun. I love going and flying the airplane and flying the, the challenge of flying the jet and, um, and and all that's entailed. But as far as, you know, pursuing this as a full-time career in the future, that's not, you know, I've reached that goal. I made it. I'm an airline pilot. Time to move on. Time to do something else, you know. Uh, time to start, uh, you know, another website or climb Mount Kilimanjaro or start an ice cream shop. I, you know, I don't really know what it is, but I'm excited for the future. And it doesn't involve being an airline pilot until I'm retiring. Um, but I'm always going to fly because I love flying so much. Now, Victoria, what about you? Any regrets so far in your your journey in aviation? Well, I don't have any regrets because I love my life and I wouldn't be where I am without those decisions I made. But that being said, there is something I would do differently. Um, you kind of pointed it out with the debt and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I wish I had some more knowledge going into it. I felt so alone when I first started into this training. I had no idea what I was doing. I just showed up at the airport, scheduled the lesson, and started. Um, so actually, what I had no idea that there were all these um, sources available to me online, such as podcasts and forums and just groups of people that we can sit there to talk with. And I didn't find a group of people that I could talk to until I was already done with my private and in the middle of my instrument. And it would have been so beneficial if I had people like you guys on the podcast, other pilots to talk to who do it for fun or do it for a living to seek advice and to get help. And uh, so anyone starting out, I would definitely find a community, whether it's in person or online to help you and be there to support you because once I got connected, I felt so much better. I felt like I had an idea of what I could become. Okay. Um, I actually forgot to, uh, to talk about a little bit more about Rick's um, question regarding aviation uh, or professional pilots, you know, airline pilots who fly recreationally, if I could go back one, uh, one more time. But, uh, you know, it's sort of... This isn't necessarily just airline pilots, but there's a there's sometimes a tendency in a person's life that when you take a hobby and you make it a career, that it can sometimes become cumbersome and overbearing and, you know, and you don't enjoy it anymore. And there, you know, sadly, I'm, and I'm going to be honest with you folks listening out there, 
I do fly with people at the airlines that say to me, you know, hell no, I don't want anything to do with a small airplane. When I get done with this job, I don't want to see an airplane, you know, until I come back to work. And it's not that they don't enjoy flying, but there's a lot of things that, um, that go into it with, you know, you know, you talk about pay and seniority and the, and the state of the industry and all kinds of things that are going on. Uh, Carl, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, there's, <laughs> I mean, do you, um, do you, uh, you fly with a lot of, I guess, newer first officers. I fly with a lot of older captains. So I do fly <laughs> with a lot of people who are just sort of burnt out, if you will, in their career and the aspect of, you know, it, to them, it's once again, just a job. It's no longer a passion, but you fly with the, you do fly with the, you know, newer pilots. What do you see? My, my perspective lately is changing quite a bit because of that is that I have so many brand new folks sitting next to me who are so excited to be in the cockpit flying a jet aircraft where they just came out of a 172 or a Seminole and they are just ecstatic to be there at the airline. Uh, they, they They do say though to me, because I try to be as positive as I can, is that uh, a lot of folks that they fly with are really burnt out. Mm-hmm. I, on the ha- other hand, you know, I my the way I have my cockpit is that I I really want once that door closes, we're having fun. And my favorite part of this job is the people. I love hearing everybody's stories and how they got here. So when when I get in the cockpit, I I all these things like you just talked about seniority, the pay, the time off, and how crew scheduling is messing up my schedule, et cetera. Mm-hmm. We try to put that behind you and and realize that you know what this this is. There's good and bad, and no matter what career we decide to go into, and we have to re- try to keep bringing ourselves back to why we're here. And and like we said, it's you know the challenge, the view, the destinations, and the people. And I think that you know from from the perspective of of somebody who's brand new, that makes my life a much better because they're coming in saying, "Oh, I love this. You know, this is so terrific," and blah blah blah. And I want to foster that. I want to make sure mm-hmm. that you know, if I just got you know messed around by by you know crew scheduling, then that I'm not gonna I'm not gonna squash that dream that they have. You know, I'm not gonna squash their their excitement, et cetera. And I, I say to myself, "Oh, wow. You know, hey." Is a great perspective. This is terrific. You know, they, they're right. You know, I have, I have a lot to be thankful for. So I have mm. to constantly say that to myself um, because at, at times there are many times in the career and in, in flying where things get really bad, where, you know, airlines start cutting costs and, and, and messing with your schedules and, and maintenance or whatever. And, and you start getting, becoming a disgruntled employee and you have mm-hmm. to turn that around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You really do. And you know, I, uh, just to, to wrap up to the, this discussion here, I, th- I would I would personally think that if you know some of these disgruntled folks actually enjoyed aviation, you know, maybe a couple times a year in a small airplane just going out and experiencing the joy, rejuvenating themselves and reconnecting with that passion that they once had, that they probably would, you know, sort of knock the crust off and and not feel so disgruntled. You know, just going out and experiencing again that passion on your own terms. Um, you know, that freedom that we talked about earlier on in the episode here, though, you know, if you go out and you're being able to do this on your own terms, it's sort of, and that's actually one of the reasons I stay, I don't know about you, Carl, but that's one of the reasons why I still stay flying actively in GA, because if you just do, you know, if you just go and you show up to the airline and you do your 14 flights and you go home, you don't, 
you miss out on the $100 hamburger. You miss out on taking your girlfriend or boyfriend or somebody in your family up for a flight and exposing them and sharing them, sharing the, uh, you know, the joy of flight with somebody new. That's what keeps us fresh. That's what keeps us young. That's what keeps us excited. So, uh, well, this is this has been a fun, uh, fun conversation. We are running a little bit long. So um, uh, if anybody has anything quick to add, otherwise, we'll just pop over to Picks of the Week. That was good. Good, good conversation. I'm glad the uh, view, the listener suggested it. Our Picks of the Week. All right. Wonderful. Well, let's hop on over to our Picks of the Week. And uh, this is the portion of the show where we share uh, an aviation product or service and uh, tell you guys a little bit about it. Let's start with Victoria. Me, me, me. Um, I was browsing online today, actually, for uh, fun aviation decor. Since we have a decent collection already, we were talking about maybe having an aviation-themed room. So um, I came across the Future Flyers Club at futureflyersclub.com. It's your online toy airplane superstore. I wasn't looking for toy planes, but somehow I got sucked into that website. Um, they have like those fun pedal airplanes for kids, and then they have uh, airplane bedroom decor and kids clothes. Um, but once I actually got clicking through the tabs and exploring the site more, I did discover they had a lot of um, adult stuff too, from aviation signs and some neat nautical type lighting. So um, what I really liked about the site, though, is you can rate your purchase so you can see how many stars something got before buying it, whether it's four stars or two stars. So you actually have an idea of what kind of product is it, it is before you actually purchase. So that was a uh, futureflyersclub.com. Cool. How about you, Carl? Well, mine, mine's a book actually that uh, it's called Aircraft, The Jet as Art. And it has become an exhibition at the Smithsonian National Air and Space Museum. And it's going to be there till uh, November 25th of 2012. So if there, there's an excuse to go to the museum again. And uh, this is a, uh, it's a photographic topology of jet aircraft as they're landing. And uh, this person took some amazing photographs. His name is uh, Jeffrey Milstein, and he's a photographer. And he put together enormous photos and incredibly clear photos against a white background and they're on display on the I think it's the North Exhibition Hall at the Smithsonian but you also can get the the book they sell it over at Amazon and it's uh and it's called uh, Aircraft the Jet as Art and it's just amazing because you feel like that the the airplane is just going to pop out of the photo at you. And uh, for information on that, I actually I just put a blog post and a video together of the tour I did of the exhibition there. And uh, that'll actually, I'm posting that today. And you can go to my uh, website, expertaviator.com. And there's links to the Smithsonian Air and Space and also to uh, Jeffrey Milstein's uh, uh, website. He's got some amazing photos and also a link to the book there. So, again, that's the, uh, the Jet as Art and uh, really, really amazing photos. Cool. Well, I'll have to check that out. And, uh, Rick, how about your pick of the week today? Yeah, mine's um, not really available yet, but it was announced today, and I thought it was interesting enough to bring up uh, for those of you who like simulators or who, who have worked, you know, have played with them on computers. Um, Microsoft announced today sort of the return of Microsoft Flight Simulator. Um, they had closed down the group that produced uh, Flight Simulator in the past, and the last one was Flight Simulator 10 or X. Um, and, and I don't know a lot about this, except from what I can tell, they are uh, coming back out with um, what seems to be more, I guess maybe more of a game, although I'm, I'm told there's some chance that under the hood it will do everything that the previous one did, but that it'll be a little easier to use and simpler up front to be more of a gamer's 
uh, thing. Uh, visuals, the graphics that are depicted so far look amazing. Um, and it's going to be free. And the theory is they will let you have it for free and you can fly one or two planes around Hawaii all you want. But if you want to load anything else, then you'll buy planes, buy scenery, buy whatever. And um, I think it's kind of interesting. And uh, given that, that they were kind of the leaders in this area, I'm looking forward to playing with it. So that's the new, I think it's called Flight. And it's uh, Microsoft's uh, Return of Flight Simulator. So look for that sometime this spring. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I had talked about, uh, I can't remember which episode specifically, but I had shared a product called iFlightPlanner.com with you. It's uh, you know an online flight planning service. And at the time of recording, uh, you know, their show is going to be released uh, you know, roughly about 10 days after um, the, time, the day we record this. At the time of recording, the folks at iFlight Planner have a beta version of their iPad application, their flight planning application available. And I've been testing it over the, um, since uh, just before Christmas. And uh, by, the t- by the time this episode does release, I'm expecting that application to be available in the iTunes store. If, uh, if you're looking for it, check today. Uh, it's called iFlight Planner. And like I mentioned, it's a, um, it's a iPad flight planning software. It has an, an AFD. You can do flight planning. It has uh, electronic charts on there for EFB functions. And uh, one of the fa- one of the coolest things actually about this particular iPad flight planning application is, say, for instance, you forgot your iPad, or you're not near your iPad, or you're, you know, maybe you don't have a a um, one of the internet iPads like with a 3G connection. Well, you don't have to worry about that because of the way that iFlight Planner works. You can just sit down at your computer, log into your account on the internet or the web from any device create your flight plan, and then when you get to your iPad, you just hit the sync button and you can pull it up. So this is pretty cool. There's a new function here in the, you know, flight planning where you can do it offline and sync it. Uh, check out the application. It's pretty nice, actually. I've been working, like like I said, working with them since just before Christmas, working out some bugs, and um, they've got a lot of innovations coming down the line. You know, when you're looking at a product like this, don't forget, it's a first-generation product. It's just coming out. A lot of features are going to be coming down the line. Things, uh, you know, your feedback helps them develop this application into what you want it to be. iFlight Planner is the name once again, and uh, it's a pretty cool app. It, oh, by the way, it's going to be free, so um, wow. you should check that out. Cool. Yeah. Cool. The After Landing Checklist. Um, so why don't we start with Carl. Tell folks how to get, uh, get in touch with you. Well, you can just go to my website, expertaviator.com, and there's links to my Facebook page, Twitter account, and also my YouTube account. Very cool. Victoria. You can find me at toriaflies.blogspot.com or give me a call over at Aviation Insurance Resources. You got a phone number? 877-247-7769. There it is. Give her a call. Rick. Uh, yeah, rotationspeed.com, rfelty on Twitter, and rdfelty at YouTube. Very cool. And you can reach me at thepilotreport.com and also the Pilot Report on Facebook and Twitter. If you're looking to reach uh, the collectively reach the co-host here, stuckmikeavcast.com is the website. You can reach us via email, stuckmikeavcast at gmail.com. And of course, we're on Facebook and Twitter as the Stuck Mike Avcast. So for myself, Len Costa, Carl Valeri, Rick Felty, and Victoria Nouveau, thank you again for joining us here today on episode number 17 of the Stuck Mike Avcast. We wish you all clear skies and calm winds. Take care, everybody.
You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Abcast is an aviation podcast brought to you by thepilotreport.com, a Len Costa production.